1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I previously stated at the end of our podcast for Season 3, Episode 9 on Medicare Updates that we'd be taking a break for the holidays until mid-January. Well, as often happens in benefits and HR compliance, something very important happened immediately after we recorded that episode. OSHA released guidance on the new federal vaccine mandate for employers with 100 or more employees, and immediately following that, lawsuits were filed, resulting in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issuing a ruling temporarily stopping OSHA's guidance from going into effect because many employers are wondering whether or not they should be preparing for this vaccine mandate, we wanted to go ahead and move up our next episode to be released before the holidays. This HR update should help you to understand what you should be doing to prepare for this mandate, as well as providing with additional California updates for legislation in 2022. We hope that you enjoy this informative podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm happy to have with me today Kathy Rufino, Vice President and HR Consultant and Trainer for Train Me Today, who will be giving us some really informative HR legislative updates for 2022. Welcome, Kathy, and thanks for being here today.
2: Good morning, Dorothy, and thank you for having me.
1: Oh, I'm so happy you are. For those of you that might not be aware, Kathy works with Jacqueline Thorpe, who a lot of you have heard on this podcast many times before, uh, as well as in our own training sessions and so forth. We love Jacqueline, and I just wanted to make sure that people were aware that, you know, you work every day with Jacqueline, and, uh, you know, that's where if you're thinking, train me today, where did that come from? That's where that came from. So we know that we love Jacqueline, and I'm sure that everybody's going to love you as well. So thanks again for being here. Thank you. Okay. Well, there's a lot of legislative stuff going on right now to talk about in the HR world. Uh, For 2022, on the federal level, of course, we have new vaccine mandates going into effect maybe, for employers with 100 or more employees. And on the state side, of course, our governor was very busy signing several new bills, which are going to go into effect in 2022. So let's start off with the new OSHA guidance on the vaccine mandate for employers with 100 or more employees. I know that guidance was issued on November 4th, and it confirmed that employers may opt out of the adoption of a mandatory vaccine program. But to do so, employers with at least 100 employees must require unvaccinated employees to undergo. A weekly COVID testing and wear approved facial coverings in the workplace. Can you walk us through the HR concerns and what this mandate means for employers?
2: Yeah, it, you know, this guidance uh, that OSHA has issued um, it has been an interesting journey because right as soon as they issued it, you're right, they all of a sudden we had a million claims against it of, you know, is OSHA really the group that should be implementing this and and enforcing it and so on. So right now, what we know, under the new mandate, employers will have the option to implement frequent testing if they don't want to do the proof of vaccination program. Or they can do both. So they can have employees provide proof, and then for those employees who opt out of that, they can also still have the option to test every week. So the testing that's going to be required has to be done every week and the employee needs to provide that proof to uh, their employer about their recent COVID test and the results have to be presented no later than seven days from the date the employee provided their previous test result. And the deadline for the vaccine and weekly testing is supposed to begin on January 4th of 2022. So the programs will be in place, but the actual testing program The deadline is going to be January 4th, 2022. HR professionals have spent the last two years navigating through a lot of these guidelines and the regulations and programs that continuously change our landscape. It's been such a roller coaster ride that most HR people have been somewhat prepared for this mandate or some mandate of this kind. And so uh, with that, as much as I would love to say that we're all pretty prepared for it, there's always going to be concerns for how it's going to affect our business and our people. There are still a lot of unknowns to the mechanics of complying with all these requirements, how we're going to monitor and manage this process, and this massive amount of record keeping that comes along with it. So, you know, not the least of which is going to be all of this documentation for weekly testing. And whether or not that is going to be considered private information that we protect like we do any other medical record, or is it just, you know, a document saying, yes, we received it. And so there's, there's a lot of that concern. It's the workload of it, the management of it, the monitoring of it. And then, of course, how, are, how is this going to affect our workforce? How are people going to respond to this? What's it going to do to our employee morale? And right now, a lot of those questions are just in the air while this thing sits in the courts.
1: Right, I know you're right about that. A lot of my clients, for example, have had questions about what do we do because of all the HIPAA guidance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how is this going to apply? So that you know, so there definitely is going to be a lot of uh, concern on that on that level for sure. Well, as you mentioned it briefly there, and and I kind of hinted toward it at the very beginning. Obviously, with the release of the November 4th guidance, there were immediate lawsuits filed, and immediately, like immediately, on November 6th, the Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals issued a ruling temporarily stopping the OSHA guidance from going into effect. Should employers be going forward and preparing for this mandate, assuming that it's going to go into effect, or should they wait and see what happens in the courts, in your opinion?
2: You know, from everything that that we know, these lawsuits were not unexpected. As you said, they were almost immediately... Filed And so you can imagine that most of these attorneys and law firms were they were prepared. (laughs) They were just waiting. So even though there is a ruling in place right now that's kind of halting things, the guidance that we are currently receiving from uh, counsel that we deal with, everyone is saying, go ahead and start putting your policies in place, start crafting what you're going to be doing. If you're going to be doing vaccine mandates, put that in. If you're going to opt for the testing, get everything ready as if it's going forward.
1: Let's talk about the required compliance on December 5th, because obviously that's coming up very quickly. Assuming that the law goes forward, what should employers be doing by December 5th?
2: Employers still need to be preparing for this. And HR should be educating themselves on the requirements of the OSHA ETS and spend the next couple of weeks drafting the policies that are going to be in compliance with that, including how they were going to collect and maintain these vaccination records, how they're going to. include the testing option, if that's going to be an option for them. They need to be able to create a plan for tracking the weekly test results and how they're going to handle accommodation requests and disability issues that are going to come up, as well as religious accommodation requests, because those also will have to still be considered. So employers will need to prepare um, for all of those things. Plus, you know, there's always going to be that option of, of... You know, somebody filing a claim against you as an employer for whatever the reason may be. You know, there's we've already heard people pushing back from our own employees, you know, um, with our clients, especially saying, you know, our employees are saying they're going to quit. If we do this, they're going to quit. So we need to be ready to address that. And then employers also need to be addressing how are they going to handle employees who absolutely refuse to comply with the new requirement. And that may include terminating people.
1: Yes, because this goes a lot further than, because, you know, we've already been seeing this with things like hospitals and nurses and things like that, you know, mandating that they're vaccinated and all that, and, you know, the all the essential workers, the airline workers and all that sort of thing, you know, uh, if we lose any more employees, it's going to be very difficult for most employers, for sure, because they're, they're having such a hard time still trying to find people to, to fill positions, so I certainly, mm-hmm. I certainly understand what you're saying for that. So let's talk about employers who opt out of the mandatory vaccine program. You know, these employers must do certain things by January 4th. Again, these very specific dates in the guidance. What do they need to do?
2: So employers can't really opt out of the OSHA ETS. What they can opt out of is mandatory vaccine, as you said. And so in that case, they will have to create their program that says how they're going to do this testing. How are they going to be in compliance with the other possibility? You know, so I don't want to do mandatory, you know, vaccination police checking. Um, So The only other option is to do the testing, and so they will need to prepare for that. And again, they want to prepare, but not implement until we know what the court's final outcome is going to be. But you don't want to be behind the eight ball on December 5th going, oops, I don't have a plan. Right,
1: for sure. Well, many employers uh, may be taking a wait-and-see approach to see if it goes into effect. Employers can voluntarily adopt their own vaccine mandate program, correct? Correct.
2: And and with that again we can we we always have had a saying in California you know we always have the higher standard here and the same holds true with this employers may adopt their own vaccine mandate program now if they choose to they don't have to wait until December 5th to do this as long as they are creating a program in my opinion that's going to meet the OSHA ETS so you can do more than what it's going to require use the OSHA ETS as it stands right now as kind of a guideline so that you know you're always going to be in compliance. If you want to do more than what it requires, great. Just don't do less.
1: Right, for sure. Well, let's move on to California state legislation. Can you tell us about the Warehouse Distribution Employee Law, AB 701? What's this all about?
2: So, I don't think any of us were surprised about AB 701. We saw... (laughs) a large uptick in online ordering and therefore delivery services for all the lovely products we ordered during COVID. And it just became a very intense environment in these warehouses because they were trying so hard to get everything pushed out of the warehouses and delivered. And it created a, an environment, a work environment for these employees that was not only a risk to their safety and their health because they were working um, way more hours than they probably should have to be safe. And they were working at such an intense pace that they were often not getting their rest and meal periods. Okay. So claims were filed and not surprisingly because employees felt they had been told they could not take breaks. They could not take their rest periods without jeopardizing their position of the company. So there was a threat there of Um, potential retaliation, if you will. And so what AB 701 does is it speaks to that situation and says, look, you can't just work people to the bone. There has to be some some guidelines here. And again, we we have the 100 employee mark that we're looking at. So if you're a California employer and you have a single warehouse distribution center with 100 employees or more, or if you have a 1,000 or more employees, at multiple warehouse distribution centers this law is going to apply and the employer has to give the non-exempt employees our hourly people including temps people from staffing agencies and third-party employers a written description of any quotas that they have in place and the notice has to include what type of tasks Um, the employee is going to be asked to perform or the materials that they have to produce or handle. It has to give the relevant time period. So what, how much is this have to be, you know, how many widgets do I have to produce and how much time? And then any potential adverse employment action that could result if the employee fails to meet the quota and the written description they're saying has to be provided at the time of hire or within 30 days And it's going to be effective January 1. So this is something that people need to start if you're in a warehouse situation, if you're in that distribution environment, it needs to be in place.
1: Well, that's good to know. I actually myself have a few clients that are, you know, warehouse distribution type companies. So I'm sure they're paying very close attention to this for sure. Let's talk about the expansion of the CFRA uh, regarding, you know, family members and parents in law, everything that was covered under AB 1033. Can you walk us through what all this means?
2: So this was probably one of the simpler the simpler laws that we deal with coming, coming into January. It clearly just was a simple matter of clarifying who is covered under the definition of family member. And so AB 1033 just adds parent-in-law to the definition of family member.
1: So it's as simple as that. I thought it was a lot <laughs> <is>. more difficult. <laughs> I thought it was a lot more complicated than that. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, no, the
2: rest of it they already made complicated last year.
1: (laughs) Okay, good. Okay, I was reading way too much into that then. That's good to know. (laughs) What about AB 654? That went into effect on October 6th of 2021, and it relates to COVID-19 reporting. Can you walk us through the amendments and changes in the
2: reporting requirements? So the big thing for HR on this one is really just a simple matter of Um, making a minor change to the existing reporting protocols. So right now, rather than employers having to notify employees who may have been exposed, employers are now required to notify all employees who were on the the site where there has been a confirmed case of COVID-19. The other piece that it adds is if you are in, the industries like child daycare facilities, residential daycare facilities for the elderly. This bill now um, exempts those groups from reporting the COVID outbreak. Okay, thank you. So minor changes. I'm sure we're gonna have more amendments as we go. Yeah, for sure. They, they always like to do
1: that, for sure. It's never it's never one and done, for sure. Uh, another, <laughs> another new law is the Silence No More Act, SB 331. What does this act do?
2: So this act just really adds um, more restrictions on employers who do severance agreements or, uh, you know, settlements for employee claims um, that allege harassment, discrimination, or re- or retaliation. The new law is going to make it unlawful for employers to prevent disclosure of information about, you know, whether it's unlawful harassment, discrimination, retaliation in any agreement related to the employee's separation from the company. And it makes those agreements unenforceable. So really, it's just saying you, you cannot tell people in a severance agreement or a settlement that they cannot discuss these things after the fact, if it, if they're, as long as they're discussing them in a factual matter.
1: Okay. Well, that's actually quite interesting because I see a lot of those. You hear about these in the news all the time, all the non-disclosure agreements and all these types of things. So that's that's an interesting one, at least to me. You
2: know, in the past, Dorothy, we, I mean, my career in HR, I've been in HR almost 30 years, It we always had those; those, that language was always in there. Yeah. That, you know, you can't discuss this.
1: Right. So this will change that. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting twist. We'll see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there's a new Criminalization of Wage Theft Act, which makes intentional theft of wages punishable as grand theft under AB 1003. Can you tell us about this?
2: Yeah, this, this was an interesting one. Um, it, basically what AB 1003 is saying is that employers cannot take from any one employee um, any any amount greater than nine hundred and fifty dollars or two thousand three hundred and fifty dollars um, from two or more employees in a consecutive twelve month period. Now, ironically, my sense of humor gets the better of me, and I think, well, so if they take two thousand three hundred and fifty dollars in eighteen months, is that okay? So <laughs> I don't know. But shame
1: shame if, on you! Shame on you for <laughs> know.
2: You know, HR does have a sense of humor. Um, We, you know, we're looking at this saying, you know, it's probably more geared towards the things like we've heard about tips where, you know, managers or supervisors take part of the tips and things like that. And this is just simply saying you cannot take the wages that that the employees are due. So now they're going to make it a a punishable charge. It can be either a misdemeanor or a felony. And it's subject to prosecution. So putting a little a little tougher twist on this now.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about the electronic workplace notices. I know that you're, you know, pretty happy about this one. Can you tell us about SB 657? You know, how does this relate to these electronic notices? What's this all about?
2: I think a lot of us were happy to see this one finally happen. And this really, you know, in my mind had really less to do with COVID than the fact that for years we've had people who work out in the field who do not come into our offices. And we've got this burden of providing them these posters Um, short of sending them a whole list of posters to hang on their walls at home. They never come into the office. So it's always been kind of a challenge and we've been asking, you know, can we just do this electronically? Well, now we can. And so with remote workers, you know, increasing over the last two years, This is a huge thing because a lot of people are going to stay remote. And so employers are finally going to be able to provide the workplace postings that we're required to provide um, in our workplaces for employees who don't work on site. However, the caveat here is you still, as an employer, need to put the postings up in your physical building. So you still do need to have all your posters up. It doesn't remove that requirement. But we can offer our off-site people or our field workers electronic versions, which is great.
1: So is something like posting it just on your website, if you have like a, an employee section of your website or if you have, you know, an intranet or something like that, is that acceptable or do they have to be sent out by email? Are there any what type of what type of rules are included in this?
2: A lot of companies who have employee portals have already been posting them um, electronically in their site not in lieu of the posters or to get around the law before it happened but just they that's just what they've been doing now we can do that legitimately but you cannot you will still have to send them to the employee via email because you want a record of saying yes they received them
1: okay thank you for that clarification mm-hmm. the california supreme court finally settled on the issue of meal period rounding can you tell us about this and what the court determined
2: this was This is an interesting one because this goes back to reference on the Donahue versus AMN Services case, where Donahue, the employee, had filed a class action claim against her employer, AMN Services, for failing to pay premium wages for the meal period. So on the meal period, if the employee misses it, they get a missed meal period payment, if you will, for that, that time missed. And... For California, this rounding thing has been an issue back and forth, back and forth. Can we round? Can we not? And it typically does come up when we have these kinds of cases. So the courts finally came in and said, you know what, we're going to settle this. And the issue of the employer's timekeeping system was critical here because the claim was that the employee didn't get their full 30 minute meal period within the first five hours of work um because of this rounding and so what happened was the rounding system which in california at the time you know you can round within the nearest 10 minutes and so the rounding increments that were happening in this case ended up where her meal period could be as short as 22 minutes when the rounding went up to 30 because that was when within the 10 minutes so now the courts have finally given us a ruling that quite simply states you can't round for meal periods we can still do rounding for clocking in and clocking out at the, you know, shift end and start, but you cannot do it for meal periods because that is a direct conflict with the requirement that we have to keep a strict time for meal periods so that we are not infringing on that person's right to a full 30 minute meal period. Right. I mean,
1: sometimes it takes... 15 or 20 minutes just to get your food prepared and, and sit down, let alone start actually chewing it and digesting it. I can see why that 22 minutes to 30 minutes, you know, difference would actually be a big deal to someone because, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you have to microwave stuff sometimes you have to you know walk it takes time to walk to the to the wherever your food is located um, so yeah I can see why that would be a, a good a good change uh, are there any other new laws and regulations that we should know about anything related to harassment anything related to anything else that we need to be aware of you know it continuing or whatever for 2022?
2: There's, you know, there will still be some things that are that are going to be shifting a little bit, you know, as as always with all the ones that we've already talked about. There's so many other ones that he signed. I think there was probably over 500 that were signed. A lot of them have nothing to do with employment, but still, a lot always gets signed in that September, early October period. One of the ones that both Jacqueline and I were really excited to hear passed was SB 639. So SB 639 addresses an existing law where employers could apply for a license to pay sub-minimum wage to employees who are mentally or physically disabled. SB 639 is going to change that. And the new law is going to require employers to pay disabled workers at least the minimum wage, which is only fair. And so as of January 1st, uh, 2022, employers will no longer be issued these licenses. So the existing employers who do have them will now need to develop a plan to phase out their current program, and they need to be compliant with the minimum wage rule by January 1 of 2025. So they've got some time, but it is it is happening. So that's a good thing. So we were kind of excited to hear that one. Yeah. Are there any others? Um, not, you know, not that are really big. I mean, I think the one that most of us are waiting for, Dorothy, is this whole ending up of OSHA requirements and then Cal OSHA, see where they take it. You never know. Right. Right. We always
1: like to be top. <laughs> right. For sure. I'm, I'm expecting certain things to come out from Cal OSHA pretty quickly here, as soon as, we, as soon as they know what's going on on the federal side, because they usually jump on things right away for sure. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, thanks so much, Kathy, for giving us all this incredibly valuable and timely information, and thank you for also agreeing to be presenting at our upcoming Client Lunch and Learn on January 26th, where you're going to be talking about leave laws, and then I'm guessing you're also going to talk a little bit about some of the things that we discussed today. So thank you for that as well.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I I enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to the Lunch and Learn. I'm sure we will have more information by then on the OSHA requirements, so we definitely will have that conversation if we have new news.
1: Right. Yeah, let's hope so. (laughs) Well, if anyone out there listening would like to reach out to you with questions or need assistance, how can they do so?
2: Oh, that'd be great. I'd love to connect with your listeners um, and answer any questions they have. So please feel free to contact me. My email is Kathy. It's K-A-T-H-Y at trainmetoday.com, or my direct line is 949-308-7152.
1: Well, thank you so much, and thanks again for being here.
2: Thank you again, and happy holidays to everybody.
1: Thanks, you too. And to everyone out there, thanks for listening. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and have a happy holiday.
0: Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754 extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835 or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.